Welcome to the Podglomerate. Hello and welcome to Plus of an Intelligence, the show about how games impact people. My name is Chess. Today is sort of an extra episode for you listeners. As you know, we've been working our way through our series on games and social change. But the last episode that I have planned for that series has been delayed a little bit. But at the same time, an opportunity for a different episode arose that I thought y'all would enjoy since it ties into our previous series on games and mental health. So today I will be talking with Emily Crawford, the director of an upcoming documentary, Gameflow which follows stories of people who have found video games beneficial to managing their mental health conditions. We talk about games and mental health, and we also get into a discussion of the overlap between film and video games. As this episode airs, her Indiegogo campaign to fund the final release of this film is ongoing, so if you like what you hear, be sure to check out the link to the campaign in the show notes. Joining me today is Emily Crawford. She is the director of the upcoming documentary Game Flow about mental health and video games. Welcome to the show, Emily. Hey, thank you so much. Let's go back to the beginning. When was the first time you saw games as something more than just something fun, but as something that could impact your life or your mental health? Basically, I first came up from my own personal experience that I found in my personal life. I kind of discovered games late in life, actually, in my like mid-20s is when I got really into console video games, which is a little unusual, I think. But mm-hmm. that happened to coincide with me having kind of a tough time with some mental health issues And I found them really helpful. And then around the same time, I started doing research about it and reading specifically uh, the like writing and TED Talks actually of Jane McGonigal was really like a, a spark kind of. She's done a lot of interesting research on this subject. And I started finding out that what I was experiencing, that games were helping me cope with things, was not a freak thing that there was actually research behind it and people were successfully using games or just kind of the logic of gaming, which is more what Jane McGonigal does, um, using it as a helpful tool. And that's when I kind of first got a hold of this subject and that pretty quickly, since I'm a was in film school at the time, pretty quickly evolved into I need to make a documentary about this. This film you said you did it for This was a part of film school, your capstone project, right? Exactly. So what reactions did you get to the topic of video games and mental health? A really wide range of reactions to it. This was my capstone for my MFA degree grad school. And because of the environment I was in, I think, yeah, I got really wide, wide degree. You know, I was in a game studies class at the time, I was around a lot of people who were very into games. So on that end, there was a lot of people who were immediately really excited and like, oh my God, like, that's so true. And I can't wait to learn more. I also got responses that like one of my favorite stories 
As I told someone, and this was actually a student of mine, sort of, I was a teaching assistant and I was meeting with this student to help her with something. And I told her what my documentary is about, games and mental health. And she was just like, oh, you mean like Columbine? Like, (laughs) you mean, (laughs) she immediately jumped to like, she thought I was making a film about games encouraging violence just because of the terms games and mental health together. And I had to be Mm -hmm. like, no, no, this is actually positive for mental health. So I've definitely gotten some reactions to that. Luckily, not so much in school and more so in my personal life and social. Uh, With a coworker once, he was so surprised immediately. And this is someone I was very close with, but he is an older guy who just associates games with violence. And Mm -hmm. he immediately was like, how can that be? Because they're so violent. And I had a lot of conversations with him about that. Right, But luckily, like I said, because of the communities I'm a part of, there was a lot of positive support right away, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And that's I think that's definitely emblematic of where gaming is in the culture now that there's so many people who have grown up loving games. And now we're grown up and realizing that, you know, all of the talk around games has been negative for so long and it really doesn't jive with how many people love games and find solace in games and find wholesome value to games in their lives. That's definitely true. And, and, you know, when I started a show and it's a show about how games impact people. And that was my big fear was that's what would immediately jump into people's minds. But I'm okay with that because it gives me a chance to show like the stark contrast between what people think and, and what the people who come on my show think. (laughs) Exactly. A good chunk of the documentary, especially a little bit towards the end, is built on debunking stereotypes about games. So I kind of hope those people will watch the film too, like you say, Mm -hmm. and hopefully change their minds. Mm -hmm. So the first incarnation of this film was as a school project. What inspired you to take the project to a wider audience and to crowdfund it to to bring it to a wider audience? Yeah, so taking the project to a wider audience was really always part of the goal. Um, just in that, you know, what's the point of any film if no one sees it, if only my classmates <laughs> see it? Hopefully I will impact my classmates, but usually with your capstone film, that's when you, at the grad school level, you're kind of hoping to launch it out into the world afterwards, which is why even though I've graduated, I'm clearly still working on it. Um, So that was always the goal. But then the crowdfunding really came up as I realized, first of all, that making the film look as professional as I wanted it to was going to be expensive. (laughs) I, you know, been working a lot on like professional documentary broadcast documentaries in my career what I do to make money and realizing like oh wow this you know hiring a professional color correctionist really does make things look better and I've become more and more aware of that and you know the whole goal is the more professional the film looks and the better the looks the more it will impact people um so that's how the crowdfunding came up as I started realizing there really was a community built around this kind of intersection of games and mental health and thought why not ask them for help. But the goal either way is kind of just to spread awareness and spread the word. So 
-hmm. even if we don't make our goal, which I hope we're on track to do still, by the way, but it will get made and finished no matter what, whether we meet our goal or not. And spreading the word is kind of half the battle. So that was really always one of the goals. So getting back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Yeah. Yeah. You said that games helped you get through a difficult time in your life. Would you mind telling us about how exactly the games have helped you? No, not at all. This is really what kind of inspired the project to begin with. It's There's a saying that all documentaries or documentarians make films. All their films are really just about themselves. And this documentary, that's very true. I am not a character in it or anything. I actually, the back of my head does appear once, but that's it. But in a weird way, it's kind of about me because it was so inspired by my own experience. So... Like I said, I didn't get into games until surprisingly kind of late in life. I played a lot when I was a kid, just computer games. My parents wouldn't buy us a console. And then it was really in my mid-20s, weirdly, that first I had a roommate with a console. And then I was dating someone who was a big gamer. And when we moved in together, I had access to his console that I started playing games. And around the same time, I was having started dealing with some tough mental health stuff. I'd always dealt with, from a young age, some depression and anxiety, or we thought until this point, just depression, and it turned out to be a little bit more than that. So basically, I started having these terrible anxiety, and was just, it was a big thing that turned into being ended up with me being re-diagnosed actually slightly from having depression and anxiety to anxiety and more mood instability, which is a fun kind of very, very vague <laughs> diagnosis that people like to give when they don't really want to put a label on you, but it's kind of on the spectrum of bipolar and stuff. But I didn't know what was going on at all. And I was playing games and I found they were helping a whole, whole lot. You know, I would wake up in the morning just paralyzed with fear arbitrarily that I was going to get fired that day for like no reason. There was no reason to think that. But I could get through the day literally even looking forward to coming home to playing Mass Effect is actually a little side story. The first game that made me fall in love with games was... I guess the whole Mass Effect trilogy, really. But hmm. that specifically playing those games kind of really coincided with this tough period in my life. And I was definitely doing other things, also. It's important to note, like, it's not like Mass Effect totally fixed me or anything. Like, mm -hmm. I, I also, like I said, was getting re-diagnosed, went to a ton of therapy, ended up changing all my medications. And I don't want the emphasis of the role of games to downplay any of the importance of that because it was important. But really, like, I was just so struck by they were, like, the most helpful day-to-day -day thing I could do just to help myself get through while I was waiting for, you know, waiting for the medication to kick in and all of that good stuff. And then right around then is when I started because I'm a nerd, I started doing research into this immediately. And like I said, first saw Jane McGonigal's TED Talk is a really good kind of like entryway. I think it's, oh, I even pulled it up here. 
her TED talk, the game that can give you 10 extra years of life is basically, it's about her game super better that you can, people can look up and stuff. But that really tuned me into like, oh, this is a real thing. Like this isn't Mm -hmm. just me. And I think there was some degree of escapism to it at first, but even before I found the research behind it, I was starting and I realized that I was kind of using games strategically Hmm. as a like way to manage my mood issues that I was having. And so that's, that's really how they started to help me. And then ever since I've just played a lot of games and I'm, Luckily, not dealing with the same issues that I was then now. But man, I played so many games to deal with the stress of making this documentary. <laughs> it kind of came full circle that I would like be stressed out about my work and be like, oh, I'm going to play a game. So it's still helping me all the time. Like, I'm probably going to play a game to decompress after doing two interviews in a row today. And it'll be helpful for that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that that resonated with me. A lot of it is very similar to, to my story. You know, like Mm -hmm. I have an episode that's supposed to come out tomorrow and it's not very far along right now, but I definitely wasted a lot of this weekend stressing about that and some other stuff. And so I actually completed this game that I had no intention of actually beating, (laughs) but because I sat down and, you know, just started playing and was procrastinating. But uh, I don't know, maybe it helped. Um, the double-edged sword. It is a double-edged sword with the procrastinating thing, I mm. find. I set timers, actually. I'm not even kidding. Mm. To keep myself from like, yeah. Yeah, that's smart. I uh, I definitely talk a lot about the double-edged sword of, of games and mental health. Because as my listeners know, I went through a period of depression and for a while, games were exacerbating that problem that I was, because instead of improving my life and making changes in my life, I was playing games all the time. And, you know, having that awareness of why you're playing, whether, like you said, you're playing strategically or if you are playing just to escape, it makes a huge difference in in how games impact your, your mental health. So I definitely resonate a lot with that. You know, the Mass Effect series, we end up talking a lot about on this show because there's there's something about them that that has impacted a lot of people. When I talked to Jennifer Hazel of Checkpoint, um, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with them out of Australia. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, they did some research and they found that the number one game series that's named over and over again that people find is beneficial for their mental health particularly with depression, I believe it was, uh, was the Mass Effect series, which is truly incredible because there's so many thousands of games. And for one set of, I guess now it's four games, one set of four games that constantly comes up to, to be that obvious when there are games that have been played a lot more or sold more, it is something really interesting that people find it very beneficial. That's really funny that you say that too, because actually one of the people who's kind of one of the central characters or people, real people featured in my documentary, also Mass Effect takes a very prominent role in their story. And we kind of totally bonded over that, to be honest. Right. And your your documentary, it follows, it follows three individuals and their stories 
Do you want to talk about that a little bit about what about who your documentary is about? You know, yeah. you've already mentioned that it's really about you and disguise, but um... <laughs> <laughs> but yes, but hopefully not at all. Um, that's just my ego probably seeping through. Yeah, no, the the three people who are in it as kind of central characters, for lack of a better word, are really amazing and. The story of finding them is kind of interesting too, because it was spaced out over like well over a year. Uh, the la I found the last person really last second, but they're all so impressive. Um, the Mass Effect story is about uh, Ethan. They are a game developer and grad student actually, or was now we've both graduated, but when we were filming, we were both in grad school me getting my MFA, them getting their MA in game design, uh, and we kind of met through the game lab because I took a class in the game lab at American University. And so they are this game designer who's kind of on both sides. I think even Ethan really got into game design because of how much they helped them deal with some mental health stuff. And then the next person I found was Carmen is really amazing. Uh, her name's Carmen Maria Machado. And she's an author actually, who after, not long after we finished filming, her first book of short stories got shortlisted for the National Book Award. So I'll give her a tiny, yeah, I'll give her a tiny shout out unrelated to games. Her book, it's called Her Body and Other Parties, and it's amazing. I highly recommend it. It's a book of short stories that are all kind of feminist, queer retellings of some kind of fairy tales. and other. It's hard to describe, but it's amazing and has done really well. So I came to her actually just through, through actually another person who's in the film, Kelly Dunlap, um, who's, mm -hmm. I think you said, had been on the show, yeah. Um, yeah, so Kelly is interviewed, Kelly Dunlap. She's an amazing uh, game designer, psychologist, all kinds of stuff like that. She actually introduced me to Carmen just mm -hmm. because she knew that Carmen played a lot of games and found them helpful with anxiety, and that's how I met her. And then finally, the third character, Caitlin, it's really funny because she and I went to high school together, but we like barely spoke in high school. And this is one of the great stories of how making this film, I think, helped me connect with like the larger community around games and mental health is I just posted on Facebook, you know, we're trying to find our last person who we really want to follow. Um, if you, you know, think you might be up for talking on camera about how games have helped you with specifically mood or anxiety disorders like send me a message and she did and we've since you know become friends that's that was a recurring theme somewhat is becoming at least distantly friends with the people i interviewed mm -hmm. um and she is she provided an interesting perspective because she works with children a lot she's a nanny now while she's in grad school but she's becoming studying to become a children's librarian and she had a really interesting, kind of brought an interesting perspective about the way children's play and games kind of interrelate. And some of, I think, you know, the stigma against games comes from this idea that they're viewed as a thing for kids. 
And she also plays a lot of board games, more so than what you would consider traditional video games. And that was great, because something I wanted to do all along was the focus really is video games, but there was a degree of I wanted to represent the diversity of games and that Mm -hmm. an analog game is not as different as most people think from a video game, to be honest. Like the basic principles of what it does to your brain tend to be the same from my understanding Mm -hmm. of things. So yeah, that's that's the rundown. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, and mentioning talking about, you know, play being important for development and in children and in general, you know, play being beneficial for for people. You know, it is interesting that I think maybe I've just read it or maybe it was on the show before that it was pointed out that video games are really the only kind of play that is demonized when yeah. all other forms of play especially in terms of development is encouraged, you know, you know, we have enforced times in school when children, you know, can go play or parents are encouraged to, you know, have their kids go play outside or play sports or even board games. No, definitely. We talked a little bit about the scientific basis for these things. So how in the film do you, do you connect these personal stories of the people you're following with the the scientific connections? Yeah, so I mostly try to do that at least by kind of just interweaving their stories with the interviews I did with, I well, I want to call them experts because they are experts in their field. I don't, I don't like delineating between like the characters and the experts because they're all experts in their own areas and stuff. But certain people who I interviewed with the specific goal of providing, you know, a strong foundation that was researched. And, you know, these people are reputable. They know their stuff. They know what they're talking about. Um, So that, again, one of the main one of those was Kelly Dunlap, um, who has a, you know, has a PsyD. She's a game designer, does a ton of amazing research. She was one of our really big central people. And in the film, you know, we kind of interweave her and some of the others are Lindsay Grace. He's a game designer, an academic. One of my professors is how I met him, but mm-hmm. he was really big in the game studies world and has consulted on a lot of kind of health game projects. Uh, the, he used to run the American U- University Game Lab and they designed the game with the National Institute of Mental Health that was actually for kind of helping with anxiety. Um, So I interviewed him and a lot of people like that who basically have had the expertise that I didn't have. Um, (laughs) Because I'm I'm definitely, I did a whole lot of research for this film, but I'm definitely, I kind of am a game studies, you know, I've been published at least in it, but I am not a mental health expert at all. So that's where I really needed to call on other people for help. Um, And then one of the awesome things, speaking of the game studies angle though, and people who came had that side of expertise is I did get to go film actually at a conference, the digital games uh, research association or DIGRA uh, annual conference. I went there. And so two of the other kind of, experts that I interviewed were these awesome, um, both in the field of psychology academics, Gemma Lucy Smart and Runa Nielsen. And yeah, I got to interview them each. They were kind of 
presenting research there specifically on gaming addiction or debunking a lot of the claims that have been made recently about gaming addiction. And I got to interview them in Melbourne, Australia, where I'd never been before. So that that was our big research get during production was getting access to that conference. Mm-hmm. I, I hope they lent, lent us some credibility. I think they did. <laughs> yeah, that's really awesome. I always talk with guests on my show about the goal of this show and how how there's a lot of parallel thought going on. Well, first of all, I think that a lot of personal stories need to be told more. So many gamers, they they won't even talk about their gaming to people outside, to people who are not gamers. Even to other gamers, they might not be honest about which games they play or how much they play because there can be some stigmas about particular games or how much you play, what your gaming habits are. So I think that's fantastic of getting more personal stories out there. And then also that is also true of mental health, that there's so many people who are struggling with mental health issues that, again, the stigma around it, uh, the confusion around it, it causes people to keep that to themselves. Being able to have an open dialogue about those things is is crucial, I think. And it's something that the gaming community really lacks. Yeah, absolutely. And I know several, I think most, I think all three of the kind of central people we followed really in part did it because they wanted an outlet to be able to tell their stories, both just about mental health as well as about gaming, because there aren't many outlets for people to do that. This episode of Plus 7 Intelligence is brought to you by Mr. Koya. Mr. Koya is laser focused on creating awesome versions of the exact type of shirt that I wear all the time, short-sleeved button-up shirts. If you like something loud and bold, you can get it there. Or if you're like me and want to be more low-key, they have some sharp, subtle options as well. I got the Mayura design because I'm trying to make bolder style choices, but this one will still fit in at my workplace. Plus, they are committed to sustainable practices that are great for their employees, their customers, and the environment they're always looking for ways to take it to the next level. As they put it on their website, it's kind of like Super Mario. You don't get to Yoshi's Island without making it through Iggy's Castle. Go to www.mrkoya.com slash plus seven intelligence. And at checkout, enter the code plus seven to receive 20% off your order and free shipping when you buy two or more shirts. Plus 7 Intelligence is also supported by another great podcast, The Polygon Show. Each week, four of Polygon's best and brightest gather to cover the latest news, chat about games, and answer your burning questions. Check it out. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. Yeah, absolutely. And through the course of this project, 
what did you learn about games and mental health that you you might not have known at, at the start? Yeah, um, I think most of all, I just learned how much that my experience was something that was common to other people. My experience of, you know, getting into games and then slowly noticing like, oh, hey, this kind of helps. That's what all the people who ended up being in the film and speaking about their mental health experiences, all of them had had that exact experience. And I had, you know, a decent amount of other people who I wish, really wished I could have interviewed people who were either on the West Coast or, you know, I, there was a concern of wanting to kind of not to keep the film focused. So I didn't, I wanted to kind of keep it to just mood and anxiety disorders and, but there were broader people who have, you know, other mental health issues they struggle with who said, hey, they wanted to be interviewed for this trip too. And I really just learned that there's really a movement there. And even I regret to some extent, I kept finding out after production finished, I kept finding out about all these awesome organizations that do things that were like your, your podcast who all do things related to mental health and gaming and that's what I think I learned the most is like, wow, there's this whole community already there um, that people don't know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the case. I think that, well, I'll, I'll state it as a fact because I'm after talking with people, I'm pretty sure of this, that anyone who's been a gamer for any length of time, they have subconsciously or consciously used games as a mental health self-treatment that they are in a bad mood and then they'll go and play a game or they'll choose a particular game because of the way it will improve their mood. You know, I think that everyone has done that, which means that implicitly they know that there is some kind of connection between games and mental health and they might not have any idea what that could be. They just know that it affects them and so they might do it naturally. And, you know, your documentary is called Game Flow. And I imagine that the concept of flow is something that yeah. that plays a big part in the film. Do you mind talking about that? We've talked about it a little bit on the show, but uh, yeah, uh, it, it's such a big, big thing to understand when it comes to games and mental health. Definitely. So that's, I had so much trouble coming up with a title for the film. And you're absolutely right that Game Flow does come from the concept of flow, the cognitive state. Uh, And that's something that I just really found as a common theme, you know, from the very beginning of me starting to do some research, you know, Jane McGonigal talks about flow in her TED talk that I watched all the way up until it was coming up in the interviews I did with people in psychology. Flow is basically a cognitive state you reach when you're engage, really engaged in a typically playful activity and you your mind is balanced between challenge and boredom. And people do a much better job in the film of explaining it than I can right now. But that's basically the gist of it is that you're in the zone, your mind is entirely enveloped by this one thing and you're just challenged enough that you're not bored, it's challenging, but you're not so challenged that it's frustrating or you want to give up. You're really in this state of balance and that's called flow. And everything that everyone told us about how they, or uh, 
vast majority of what they told me and my team about how they found games helpful seemed to come down and be related to that, that talk a lot about game, honestly, the value of being able to distract yourself. I think it all comes down to being able to control your own mind a little bit better. And if you are having trouble blocking thoughts out, achieving a state of flow can help you block thoughts out. And that type of thing kept coming up again and again. So Mm -hmm. that's, and it's, I wish I could pronounce the name Nihilai. I'm not, I'm not even going to try, but who the guy who defined mm-hmm. the term uh, flow. And we actually opened the film with a quote from him, from his book that was called flow and Nihilai Chiksam Nihai, but that's butchering it. So you should edit that out. <laughs> uh, I think that's about how I would have pronounced it too. So <laughs> But yeah, he's, if you want to get into the deep, nerdy research behind the film, reading that book would be a place to start. I, I got a PDF copy sent to me in the early days, and that's kind of how mm-hmm. things started. What was interesting to me reading that was the way it was written was really interesting to me. It was almost like, I don't know, it was like reading about someone discovering real magic, like in the real world. <laughs> Like it, it totally reads like, I don't know, almost like a Da Vinci Code or a national treasure where he's like interviewing people from all around the world and all these different, all these different occupations and how they get through their lives and how they think about the world and, and then relating that to flow. Uh, it was truly fascinating. He makes it sound a little fantastical, definitely, with the, the term <laughs> psychic energy, I think, was something I had to get over. That <laughs> I didn't always know what psychic energy meant, but then, then you get into the book and you're like, oh, okay. This was just written mm-hmm. a little while ago. <laughs> yeah, and I think he wrote a sequel about how creativity relates with flow. Um, and I haven't read that. Yeah, I haven't read it either, but I found that really fascinating because it it goes along with games too. Because for me, what I find one of the most influential aspects of games is how they basically encourage you and beg you to get creative, to use your mind, to get engaged in in ways you didn't think possible. And I think that's that's something that's really amazing about games. And you know, the idea of of flow is it has to do with how kind of productive and efficient your mind is. And then combining that with creativity is just some really interesting things to think about. And flow in general is something super fascinating to me because it's something that they study in psychology and they teach it in game design. And game designers literally follow the description of flow and uh, ideas for how to induce flow into their game. So in a sense, video games are designed to put your mind into a flow state. They're designed to put you into this optimal state. So in a way, they're designed to maximize your ability to get into this low stress, high performance state of mind. It's a different way of viewing games and thinking about games that uh, uh, kind of, like you said, it, it kind of is the key to understanding how it, how so many people find it helpful and effective. 
yeah, I almost wish I could like quote what you just said as a like summary of the film. <laughs> you you just encapsulated, I think, a lot of the like subliminal message pretty perfectly. Oh well, my appearance rates are pretty good. If you uh, you know, <laughs> your editing's not done yet, so <laughs> no, no, no. we ha- we're done with production. No, no more filming of any kind. We've decided, but yeah, the editing. I've been going back and forth between calling it a rough cut and a fine cut. It's like basically done except for those few little shots that like, you know, Mm -hmm. I have like one shot in mind where I'm like, I know I can find something better to replace that with, but it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, a few tweaks away from, I think being Mm -hmm. final, but then, then we've got the soundtrack. That's one of the big things we're trying to do the crowdfunding for is actually to get, an original score, which we've got a couple of good options in mind, depending on how much we raise. And it'll never, it, it will really be done. I shouldn't say it'll never really be done. <laughs> but the, the filming and production and 99% of the editing, I can very happily say, are pretty much done. I find it interesting that you got into games a little bit later in life. How did games influence influence this project and in particular your approach to film, you know, besides the content of it being about games, how did uh, games themselves influence your filmmaking? Yeah. Um, I love this question actually, cause I literally just uh, presented not just, but a couple months ago presented a paper that was vaguely on this subject, uh, <laughs> not on my filmmaking specifically, but it was about the influence of games upon film in general, like more in terms of cinematography. And honestly, I, if I were still making my documentary now, I probably would do things a little differently and try. I'm not sure that I incorporate the aesthetic of gaming quite as much as I'd like to. And I think I would have done that more now. But basically, the, for lack of a better word, the kind of cinematography of games, the way that they show you a world and you know, um, is all built around, I argued in this paper I wrote, is all built around facilitating identification with a character, your avatar. And I specifically focused on like third person RPGs. And there are a ton of films you can see and you can even trace starting in kind of the late 90s as gaming became more and more popular, that certain directors started incorporating these types of shots that looked like video games. Like Hmm. one of the big examples for my presentation was Children of Men uh, is one of my favorite movies. And the famous really long sequence at the end of that movie where he's like going through this war zone and stuff, half of the time it looks like it could be from a third person RPG game. I hope I did that a little bit in my film and incorporated it. I actually think that will come across more so in my next film. But because at the end of the day, doc, what I think documentaries should do is facilitate that that identification with a person, which is what mm. games are doing with your avatar. You're trying to put yourself into somebody's shoes. That's 100% what games are achieving. Um, so I hope to explore that a lot more in the future. You know, my next project, whenever I have time to get to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny. Just in this past few weeks, really, I've watched several films that were specifically 
taking inspiration from video games to a large extent. I watched, and none of these were like a secret. <laughs> they were very yeah. openly about like Hardcore Henry, which was entirely from a first person perspective. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. That's a big one, yeah. Which I remember a lot of people hating. Just for me, the aesthetics were just amazing. And, you know, incorporating the sound of Link opening a chest, opening a treasure chest as part of the, the score, which is brilliant. And uh, Doom, the film from 2007. Yeah. You know, based on a video game. And then there's a long sequence at the end that's first person film from a first person perspective to match exactly how a video game action sequence would, would work. It's really funny that those have recently come on Netflix. And so that's what I've, yeah. uh, I've been watching because I've been really interested about them. That's, that's, you pretty much hit the rundown of half of the like history of video games, aesthetics in film right there. You, you've got mm -hmm. the list. Now that I thought about it, there's, there's the other direction of, of cinematography and other aspects of film in video games. Video games, I think, and gamers have a complicated relationship with film in that a lot of games, they use a lot of cutscenes and they basically try to be like feature films, you know, intercut into the game. And a lot of gamers don't like that. I think there's a lot of backlash against that. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think about film's influence on, on video games? I'm so glad you bring this up because, yeah, this is totally an area I've done a ton of research into. And there is a huge, like, debate. I I think this also is tied to me not having been a lifelong, like, hardcore gamer the way so many people are that I think I don't have... I think a lot of people who play a lot of games have kind of a chip on their shoulder about certain topics. And I don't have those so much. So I love cutscenes. I cutscenes are what brought me into loving games. I love I love Bioware games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age that are like so many long cutscenes and even I get bored in them sometimes. But coming from a film background, you know, I always have loved literature. I'm a narrative person. I think that absolutely has a place in games. And I get a little annoyed when people are all like, that's not a real game. But I will say, I think it's really cool what a lot of certain games have done in terms of trying to make that narr narrative more interactive. Like, I do think it's, I, I'm trying to think, I think it's Half-Life that, like, has no cutscenes, but everything's integrated. Like, all the mm -hmm. exposition is made interactive, basically. And I, unfortunately, haven't played all of Half-Life. I should have um, and plan on it eventually. But there are a lot of games like that that have played with the seamless transition between interactive and exposition kind of parts of the games. And I think that's definitely worth exploring. Like, not all games need to have cutscenes, but mm -hmm. I will defend them to the haters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm definitely guilty of that, that, you know, I talk about games being powerful for storytelling and then when games try and do these great cutscenes, I do get a little annoyed and skip through them sometimes. But yeah, there's a lot of really interesting examples of that. Valve created Half-Life and they also created Portal and Portal 2, which I think are, I think they're just masterpieces of storytelling. Whether or not they were a game, they'd still be amazing at storytelling. And there's also games like Bastion, which 
it has a narrator that will narrate the game differently based on what you're doing and how well you're doing or choices you make, which, it, you know, it plays with how the interactivity can play into the narrative storytelling. And I had another thought, but I'll stop there because I forgot what it was. <laughs> no, that's interesting, though. I'm, I'm going to have to check out Bastion because I'm very interested in, in all of this. Yeah, I'm a sucker for all those narrative games, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. what I was thinking was um, you were talking about how film and games, they're both about you know, relating to your avatar and relating to who you're, who represents you in that world, essentially. And I think a lot of that plays into, you know, some of the frustrations that people have with, with cutscenes and, and other narrative games is they might bristle against the story in the game because within the gameplay, they've built a story and idea of that character themselves. And then when they actually encountered what the storytellers are saying, it doesn't match with their perspective of who they are in that world. And that kind of causes a problem. You know, there's a classic example of in, even in Bioware games where they, you know, you have a choice of what to say. And then when you make a selection, you find the Commander Shepard or your character all of a sudden seems way more angry or way, way more placating or just, a totally different tone than you're expecting. You know, you get in your mind that you're in this world and you are a certain type of person or you're imagining yourself in the world or whatever it is. It just doesn't match exactly what the the creators of the game thought, you know, which is kind of the unique problem of having an interactive medium. Because at least as a filmmaker, you know, your audience, they can can watch or they can leave. But uh, other than that, they don't have control over what what the medium itself is saying oh totally that exactly what you described is actually a huge pet peeve of mine when the dialogue prompt is very misleading versus what the dialogue actually ends up being which i love bioware but they have a problem with that and i don't actually it's a dream of mine to one day try and write for a game just because like mm-hmm. so many games I, that I love, I think have such amazing writing in some ways, but will struggle with like dialogue. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really a documentary person, not a fiction filmmaker, but I have done a little bit of screenwriting and stuff. And I would like kill to write dialogue for games just because honestly writing dialogue is all that I was good at. I'm not so good at the big picture story arc crafting but i can write some good dialogue and i'm like man i wish they would i wish bioware would hire me to do that make it (laughs) sometimes but i love their games nonetheless yeah the the story i've heard is that that story and particularly dialogue in games often gets the short end of the stick that they end up being the part that has to take a back seat to everything else so they have to adapt they have to adapt to whatever else is going on that the gameplay requires. They have the least amount of control over what's going on. Just kind of the way that the industry has played out with it is, has made it difficult for dialogue and for story to, to really shine in, in most cases or many cases. But of course, there are plenty that, that still do a fantastic job at it. Definitely. 
All right. So your Indiegogo is, your campaign is going on right now. Anything you want to talk about? I think you kind of described it a little bit, but do you want to talk about what's going on with that? We are a couple days into it as we record. And when this comes out, it will be, I don't know, about two weeks into it or so. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're at, I think it's what, day five? To, it's day five is ending today. And it's just been really exciting. I just, we're trying to raise funds for post-production. So tiny bit of background, specifically what we're raising money for is hiring professional audio finishing help to make it. I am, you know, I'm an editor. I am not an audio technician. So I've edited the film thus far, but need a little help there. Uh, Color correction. And then, as I mentioned, trying to get an original score composed, which we have some several actually awesome people in the works. And we've gotten off to a really good start. I'm so incredibly grateful. I think we're teetering. Actually, I meant to say this while we started this interview we hit 25% of our goal. I actually got one contribution. I saw the email. So we've just hit a quarter of our goal, which is $8,000. We just jumped over 2000 and we've still got 30 days to go, but we really need help keeping up the momentum. Um, like I said before, we're finishing the film no matter what. Indiegogo has flexible goals where you can keep the whole amount because this project is honestly just too important to me. I'm finishing it and distributing it no matter what. But we could really use all the help we could get to actually really elevate just the professional quality of the film. And then hopefully it can do better at festivals and just reach more people. I will say that the ultimate goal in the interest of accessibility is to make it free to watch online but that might not be for quite some time. So the incentive to donate is if you contribute at least $20, then you'll immediately get a link to download the film as soon as it's ready, which will probably be a solid year ahead of when it'll eventually get to be free online. Um, So yeah, just any help. I was wondering how to even communicate the link over audio but you can our website links straight to the indiegogo campaign and we could really use help right and i'll have a link to the campaign in in the show notes so most people will be able to to click on that i think a lot of people ignore show notes but they're really fantastic um (laughs) and that'll also be included on the web page that goes along with this episode so yeah and what about other social media yeah That's what I was going to say is all of our social media and our website will link you straight to the Indiegogo campaign. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at at GameFlowDoc, all one word, just the word game, the word flow, D-O-C. And then that's also our handle on Facebook. You can like our Facebook page. And then we have a website, GameFlowDocumentary.com. That is pretty small right now, but in the long term, that's actually where I hope to build up a kind of greater community. On the website, we're starting a kind of pool of resources, links to where people can see research that kind of backs up what we talk about in the film and also ongoing, you know, updates of what's happened in the news related to games and mental health since we finished shooting. So that's all at GameFlowDocumentary.com. And we hope to 
I should, I say we, it's mostly me and a small team of like my boyfriend and a few friends who help me, but we're going to keep that going. I hope for a good long couple of years as a kind of basis to support the film and is where we will eventually be able to watch it. But like I said, that might not be for a little while. But for people who contribute, I'll add this, we expect to finish the film in spring 2019. So if you contribute, you can get a copy by then. All right. So I'm really excited to see to see the developments for the documentary and the campaign. And I'm really excited to to see it when I get a chance. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Emily for speaking to me in the midst of a very busy Indiegogo campaign. I had a really great time comparing notes on how games had impacted us and about how we can convey those ideas about games through our projects. That's it for this week's Intelligence Boost. So, like I mentioned at the top, this week was supposed to be the finale of the Games and Social Change series, and that means that this was supposed to be where I announce when the next series on games and education will start, but with some things in the air, I don't have a date for that just yet. But I do have an announcement for the near future. November 3rd is Extra Life Day. If you're not familiar with Extra Life, it is a fantastic charity that raises money for children's hospitals through gaming streams. And November 3rd is their big day for that. I have been invited to be a part of the streaming marathon that the lovely folks at Team Chat Podcast are putting together for that day. So join me in showing support for that. You'll get to see me playing some game terribly. I'm not sure which one, but I know there is a lot of demand for that. Mark that on your calendars for November 3rd. And in the meantime, check out Team Chat Podcast. Their show is fantastic, covering latest gaming news and also some great discussion of the artistry of games or how they can be impactful. I'll put a link in the show notes to their Twitch channel where the charity stream will be, along with a link to their show. You can start with the episodes where I make a guest appearance. And to hold you over until Plus 7 Intelligence episodes return, join the discussion in the chat on the Plus 7 Intelligence community Discord server at discord.gg slash plus 7. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in the Discord chat. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. Music for this episode provided by the ever-elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder.